In episode four, we'll be unpacking the impact of leader wellbeing on staff, student and school performance. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff wellbeing, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Hi, everyone. This is Adrienne Hornby. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Well-Led Schools. In today's solo episode, I'll be revealing why leader wellbeing should be a top priority and the impact that it can have on staff and student wellbeing and performance. After all, leaders are equally, if not more, susceptible to burnout than our staff are. In fact, in the 2021 book, Wellbeing at Work, Gallup research highlighted that it's middle leaders who are the most burnt out in an organisation and require attention. So my thoughts here and my attention was really drawn towards those year-level coordinators uh, to subject-level coordinators and head of house, for example. School leadership nowadays calls for robust physical, emotional and intellectual energy, which in effect requires a strong sense of well-being. Now, well-being is something that is inherently left off the priority list in our leadership and teacher training and preparation programs, which is a shame because it is so important and it really also requires a lot of constant monitoring. Now, a sense of well-being is important for more than just the leader themselves. It can influence the effectiveness of an individual's leadership skills, their ability to promote healthy relationships at work, to develop community partnerships, and to support the social-emotional learning initiatives for students. All of this can lead to a healthy school climate and then eventually positive student outcomes. So when leaders experience unmanaged chronic stress, which is so common in schools nowadays, I would say it's probably prevalent at every school, it can really go on to impact the way that they interact with their colleagues. For example, they might react based on feelings of exhaustion and frustration versus feelings of empathy and understanding. Or perhaps they become more focused on the challenges that they're experiencing rather than on what we can do as a collective and and that solution finding process. Ultimately, for us as leaders, it can end up that we miss the mark on our leadership. Inevitably, the stress experienced by us as leaders can trickle down to the staff and eventually the students. 
Now I've been here myself, I've been stressed, anxious and burnt out and I reflect now on the drastic impact that was having on the team of teachers that I was leading at the time, all really early career teachers who were just witnessing me role modelling some really poor health and wellbeing values and almost setting a precedence for what I expected from them which was to overwork, which was to uh, not prioritise yourself and was to put the school first before your own health and wellbeing. And that is absolutely not the way to achieve any kind of longevity or long-lasting success in your career. In fact, a very short time after that, I really hit rock bottom and, you know, I covered that off in, in episode one. If you haven't heard my story, go back and listen. But you know, the writing was on the wall for me and I was totally miserable and really disengaged at work. So I had to really refocus my priorities on myself in order in order to give to others. And, you know, the good news is that with a focus on leader wellbeing, we can achieve a more positive and wellbeing driven trickle down effect. So something that impacts the staff we lead, the culture of the school and, and ultimately the school and the community. Now, I'm so passionate about the health and well-being of leaders and, and working with leaders because, as I said, I too have been there where I've been burnt out and it's begun to impact my professional practice. But it, of course, was impacting those that I led. You know, I, led, I think back, I led six uh, early career teachers at the time. And over the course of that year, when things were, were really bad, their professional life, engagement, workplace satisfaction was impacted because of me. So taking a good hard look at myself in that time and refocusing was ultimately the thing that led to me uh, changing my well-being for myself and for my health, but also because um, it, it, it has this flow on effect to so many other people in my world. So I channeled my interest in in wellbeing, not only into the work that I'm doing now with schools, but recently actually for my university degree. So I'm almost finished my Master's of Educational Leadership. I feel like I've been doing it for my whole life. Um, But I engaged recently in a self-study for the unit, the Personal Attributes of Effective Leaders through the University of Wollongong. And over the course of this unit, we we explored a number of different personal attributes that are really required to be effective leaders. And at the end, we got to finish off with a one-week self-study into a personal attribute of our choice. And I, of course, chose well-being, being in the well-being space. But also, I wanted to take a look into how my well-being uh, my personal well-being actually impacted my professional practice and my ability to lead and, and to reflect on that. And developing that self-awareness is really important as leaders. Now, self-study is really beneficial to a school leader because we then as researchers are required to be really critical about existing theories or ways of doing an education And from my observation, typically many school leaders really feel the pressure to give to others before they give to themselves in order to be successful in their leadership. And my self-study aimed to highlight the total inaccuracy of such a sentiment and demonstrate how a strong sense of leader well-being enables us to feel better positioned to manage the daily, and I mean daily, challenges of our role. 
So part of my self-study was uh, a in-depth literature review, which uncovered so many studies, and there's more and more coming out now, um, particularly post-pandemic, post-pandemic sorry, um, which conclude that leader well-being is crucial for a school environment that fosters teacher and staff well-being, that also prioritises school community and student well-being, and of course, achievement. So in a nutshell... My literature review uncovered that school leaders with a strong sense of their own well-being are better positioned to manage the complex demands of their daily work, their stress and emotions, and are more likely to experience job satisfaction, which ultimately leads to a really positive school culture. So this really calls for a refocus on the old put your own oxygen mask on first before you attend to others which can feel really uncomfortable because we as leaders think we need to tend to the well-being of others, Um, but we as role models have far more of an impact. Let me tell you, and my experience has has certainly shown that. Now, the other uh, complexity here is that often in a school where, um, you know, it's not projected that, that leader well-being is really important is that staff can expect for us to tend to their needs before we attend to our own. And that's not because they're selfish. It's just because we look to our leaders for guidance and solutions to our problems. So this is why, you know, almost creating a whole school vision at the very beginning of your health and wellbeing journey or refocusing journey requires us to really look into the joint responsibilities of staff wellbeing and value at the personal well-being of each and every person in the school and how that can have an impact on one another. Now, before I go further talking about our well-being and how we can focus on improving our own well-being as leaders and, and in fact, teachers, it's probably really important for me to define what well-being actually is. And let me tell you, it has about a bajillion different definitions. And that's because across the literature, researchers really highlight how well-being is such a multidimensional and complex construct. And it's completely subjective and experienced differently by individuals. And I think a lot of the time this comes down to our life experience, to our values, to our role modelling. So what one person defines as good well-being is going to be different from another because we all experience life differently. But in saying that, um, there, of course, is some research out there that really helps to support and define what well-being actually is. However, in the interest of simplifying, let's start with the definition that the Oxford Dictionary provides, which is the state of being comfortable, healthy or happy. While I'm sure most of us agree that being comfortable, healthy and happy is a sign of well-being, it's important to note that what makes one person feel healthy, happy and well might not be the winning formula for the next person. This is because well-being is a combination of so many codependent factors. Another quote I like is that well-being is not just the absence of disease or illness, it's a complex combination of a person's physical, mental, emotional and social health factors. Now, this definition acknowledges that well-being isn't only just about feeling good physically, but that well-being encompasses many more complex layers. And it really is a balance of multiple dimensions of our life and our well-being. And that can be up to eight different dimensions, generally between five and eight. But I'm going to cover off on eight today because, again, 
Some people will value one dimension more than another. So who are we to cut out three? Because the three we cut out might really uh, define somebody's well-being to them. So the eight different dimensions of our well-being are our physical well-being. So that's having enough energy, caring for our body, staying healthy and well. Then there's our intellectual well-being. So that's our ability and our level of satisfaction with how we grow intellectually, how we expand our knowledge and our skills. We then have our emotional well-being. So how we manage our emotions in a constructive way. So see now, we, we, we might be valuing each of these different dimensions differently based on our own experiences in life. Then we have social well-being, so uh, how we maintain healthy relationships. Spiritual well-being, this isn't just uh, being aligned with, an, with a religion. It's around finding and knowing our purpose, value and our meaning in life. And we've got our career well-being, so preparing for and participating in work that provides personal satisfaction and enrichment and in many ways engagement and safety in the workplace. Financial well-being, so managing our resources to live within our means, feeling safe and secure financially. And then our environmental well-being. This can also be our community well-being. So understanding how our social, natural and built environments affect our health and well-being. So this could be where we live, how comfortable we feel in our home, how connected we are to our community, um, you know, our level of connectedness to our sustainability efforts, for example. There we have it, those eight dimensions of our well-being. What we're looking for is a balance across those areas, but also a level of satisfaction across each of those dimensions and domains that means something to us. So some people might go, oh, I guess, you know, I don't have a, a strong social network, but I'm, I'm cool with my two friends, so I feel really satisfied in that area. So we can see how it's, it's quite subjective. Now I'll be talking more about uh, the, dif- the eight different dimensions of our well-being and upcoming weeks and episodes, but I've actually written a blog and I'll link that in the show notes if you'd like to explore those different elements of our well-being more. Another definition of well-being that really stands out to me and and my time working one-on-one with people to support them with their health and well-being as a coach, but also in working with school staff, is, uh, is another definition from Dodge et al. in 2012. And they define well-being as a balance point between an individual's resource pool and the challenges that they face. So what that is showing us is that we will all face challenges and stresses in our life, but do we have the resources to be able to tackle it, to, um, to work with it, to overcome it, to be able to cope? But invariably what I've learned in my time and in my experience was that when I was um, the most burnt out, I had the least amount of resources and coping strategies. And then over time, as I developed the resources, the connections tended to the multiple dimensions of my well-being at the same time, I found myself better able to cope with exactly the same, if not more, stresses uh, and challenges that I was experiencing. So I talked about that a lot in episode one, how I I recognized that I always thought I was quite resilient because I'd put up with a lot. (laughs) But over time, I continued to put up with the same amount of challenges, but I noticed that I was getting happier and I was able to bounce back faster. And that was because I was trialing a number of different strategies and resources to be able to tend to my mental health and well-being. Another aspect of well-being that is worth mentioning here is the PERMA model. So 
The PERMA model comes from positive psychology and the pioneer Martin Seligman. And he identified five different pillars uh, of our well-being that if we attend to increase our feelings of psychological safety, and this is something that's now applied in workplaces and organisations and schools uh, globally. So PERMA stands for positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning and accomplishment. So positive emotions, are we promoting um, positivity in the workplace, optimism, gratitude, development of coping strategies and, and resilience, for example? Engagement, are we engaging our staff, recognising their strengths, um, crafting their roles around their strengths and getting clear on our job roles? Relationships, are we managing and maintaining the relationships of staff, ensuring that we all have at least one close friend in the workplace, planning in plenty of times to socialise and collaborate? Meaning, is there a strong vision, clarity, purpose and direction for the school? Is everybody on board and do they understand the why? What, you know, what's that sense of purpose? Accomplishment, are we recognising the strengths of our staff, leaders, one another? Uh, are we providing that feedback? Uh, and are we ensuring that, that everybody has that sense of accomplishment? And more recently, researchers actually now are adding in H to the PERMA model at the end uh, for health. So our health really sits at the foundation and core and a lot of our feelings of overall well-being and energy. Um, so ensuring that we're building that pillar of, of overall physical health uh, and physical well-being so that we can enjoy the other areas or have enough energy to attend to them. Now, the PERMA model is woven into the work that I do with individuals, leaders and school, and we're more likely to tend to the wellbeing needs of our leaders and staff if we regularly review and apply strategies across these six areas. Again, the PERMA model is a whole episode in itself, um, which I will record in upcoming weeks, but I've, of course, written a blog on this and I've also linked that on the show notes if you'd like to dive into the PERMA model more. So a bit of a recap here, wellbeing again is a multidimensional construct, but a good sense of well-being is when we're attending to the multiple dimensions of our well-being, which is up to eight. Uh, in a workplace capacity, are we balancing out those six pillars of the PERMA model? Um, because, you know, workplace well-being is very different from personal well-being. But then, of course, alongside attending to those multiple dimensions of our life and keeping them in check, do we have adequate coping strategies and resources to be able to manage and deal with the challenges and stresses that we face from day to day? So when we talk about rising job demands and, and stresses and challenges, particularly as leaders, I of course looked into what the leading causes of stress for leaders are and let me tell you there are so many <laughs> but um, particularly now in this post-pandemic world we and and the current state of education as well we've got this rising amount of job demands so they include of course managing staff and people staff shortages and staffing in fact that's actually the leading stressor for principals um, and I think many schools felt this in the pandemic with lots of staff being away and having no, no teachers to fill their roles, therefore lots of staff losing out on release time. This was immensely stressful. We've also got accountability. So, um, of course, reporting to the powers that be, having um, in, for some, it, there are really people breathing down our necks for administrative loads, school performance, um, you know, turning in all of the relevant paperwork, etc. 
Then, of course, we um, have the added stress and pressure of coaching and developing teachers and staff. For leaders in really large schools, when you think about it, that's a lot of staff that we're responsible for developing. And again, with staff shortages and when we don't have good systems for teacher development, this can be really stressful because it's ultimately our responsibility. Then there's the stressor of leading constant change. Uh, Schools are forever changing places and developing a positive school culture. This requires lots of planning, constant review, research. Um, You know, it's well-being and culture change is an absolute beast. Uh, And being on top of that, as well as all of the other stresses that we're facing, is really challenging. And then, of course, there's improving student success and school performance, NAPLAN results, you know, HSC results at the end of the year, ATARs, all of these kind of things um, is an added pressure. So, you know, my thoughts go out to school leaders, particularly senior leaders, because there are a lot of really weighty stresses that we are, we are definitely experiencing. So it really is little wonder that, that a leader's overall sense of personal well-being ends up falling down the list of priorities. But high and unmanaged stress levels really caused by any number of these and probably more for school leaders is leading to increased levels of leader burnout, particularly when we don't have the skills, the community and the time to network to be able to support ourselves in these areas. And putting leader well-being first is not common practice, but it should be. So the next part of the equation is really all around how we cope with these stresses. So I talked about that in the definition of well-being. So in your personal life, you're thinking about, oh, how do I attend to those multiple dimensions? And some of you might be like, I don't get any time to even get to the social well-being side of things or to look after my physical health because I'm so focused on, on work. And this is where we need to reframe things. So stressful and challenging times are something that we will invariably face in our career um, as, as schools are really stressful places. And there are multiple factors that can influence our feelings of well-being in our lives and at work, our relationships, our workplace, the systems that we're part of, and then, of course, world events. So while there are some factors that we have very little control over, we ultimately have the most control over ourselves the way we handle a situation and which coping strategies that we apply at any one time. In 2017, Skinner and Zimmer Gembeck structured a wide range of coping strategies into the most commonly used coping strategies that people will access. So the way that we cope can be best categorised into adaptive and non-adaptive or maladaptive strategies. And some people like to think of these as helpful and less than helpful or non-helpful, but sometimes non-adaptive strategies can can be the, the best call at the time. And we'll talk about that a little bit more soon. The more adaptive or helpful the strategies that we apply, the sooner that we can recover, grow and enjoy our lives. So let's break this down a little bit. Literally, when we face a challenge at work or in life, we can access and use four different kinds of coping strategies. So our actions are what we do in the face of a challenge. Our personal abilities, how we handle a situation. 
our social resources, how we access and utilise our loved ones' social networks and, and support options, and then our inner and outer language, so what we say to ourselves and to others. Now, I promise to dive more deeply into the difference between the different coping strategies and actually what they are in an upcoming episode. But for now, I'd really just like you to reflect on how you currently cope with any challenging or stressful situations. Do you find yourself engaged in a bit of inner and outer self-talk that's more, you know, more prone to complaining or whining? Or do you find that you're more likely to express yourself emotionally, regulate your emotions and your behaviour? Perhaps for some of you, you might apply actions like escaping and avoiding things or, or feeling a little bit confused and helpless. But a more adaptive strategy that you might apply would be to problem solve or to seek information in order to move forward. Another thing you might reflect on is how do you access your social network during times of, of, of a challenge or a stressful time? Do you pull back and withdraw or do you seek comfort, contact and instrumental aid from loved ones, friends, colleagues uh, and even professionals? And then what are your available options? So some people might end up submitting, um, so, you know, ruminating and sort of getting caught up in their thoughts or even getting angry and blaming others. Or, you know, a more adaptive strategy might be around sort of acceptance and, and cognitively restructuring what's going on, um, setting your priorities and, and, and moving forward. So, so you as a leader, knowing how you cope and recognising how you cope with, with challenging situations is the first step. And then you might begin thinking, okay, I either need to develop my skills here or um, build my capacity in a certain area. So um, maybe I do need to reach out to others for help more in those situations. Overall, research demonstrates that current and future school leaders may be entering the profession without solid skills to manage and cultivate an overall sense of well-being. And as such, they're developing these non-adaptive coping mechanisms which follow them throughout their career. Imagine how different our trajectory as a leader would be if we were adequately prepared with coping strategies and, and ways to prioritise our well-being um, before we became leaders or as early leaders. And I actually want to send out a big shout out and commendation to the principals who've actually employed me to come and work with their leaders to be able to teach them these skills. Um, you know, particularly I've got principals coming to me who recognise they've got lots of uh, early career leaders and new leaders who they, they recognise need these skills. So the question is, well, how can we as leaders begin to address and improve our overall sense of wellbeing? As I have already covered off on, a sense of well-being can, of course, influence the effectiveness of our overall leadership. It promotes those healthy relationships, it develops community and connection, and it really supports our students ultimately at the end of the day. If improved student and school outcomes is the end goal for schools, which of course it is, an improved focus on our well-being as leaders is imperative. Again, we're those role models for almost everybody in the school. So I've got a couple of tips. Uh, so you might want to grab a pen and, and jot some of these down. So my first suggestion is to take stock of your well-being often and reflect on how you're feeling across those eight dimensions of your well-being. You might even give yourself a little bit of a rating, one through five. 
And then think about at work, how are you attending to each of those six areas of the PERMA model? You know, do you feel like you're promoting your positive emotions at work? Do you feel engaged? Do you feel like you've got strong relationships? Do you have a sense of meaning and accomplishment in in the workplace, for example? And finally, a reflection on how are you coping with any challenging or stressful times? Does this need a little bit of a tune up? And my plan is to put together some upcoming episodes that you can listen to that can help you to reflect on these different areas. Now, a review of research into leader well-being has found that a leader's sense of well-being across the multiple dimensions is strongly attributed to a sense of balance in their work and life. Now, this is interesting because we often think that workload is the thing we need to manage um, in order to get a work-life balance, but it's actually about what you prioritise, what you value, whether you recognise that, your self-awareness, whether you identify it. If you're not often looking to and assessing how you're feeling across those multiple dimensions, then you don't recognise that there's a problem. Another important point that's coming out of the research is that active engagements in positive interventions for wellbeing helps leaders to address their stress levels. So this is engaging in professional learning around your wellbeing, in listening to a podcast like this, reading other podcast studies, but also self-reflection and journaling. As I said, if you're regularly checking in with yourself and how you're faring across the multiple dimensions of your well-being and how you're coping, you're going to be further ahead than when you were when you just cruise along. Point two is to consider if your state of well-being is impacting your leadership. So the research actually discusses that when a leader's general health and well-being is poor, they're often deprived of the energy and creativity needed to access and develop the inner self, which is required to lead effectively. Developing our inner self starts with self-awareness. That's why point one was to begin with reflection. But ask yourself that critical question. Is my state of well-being influencing the way that I lead, my performance, my productivity and my team? And for a leader who's not able to be responsive to their own well-being and needs, caring for and attending to the needs of others is likely to be a challenge. If we're always rescuing people and saving them and not role modelling what it means to look after ourselves at the same time, we're missing a really important piece of the puzzle. If you do not feel healthy, happy and well, is it impacting your ability to connect with others, to lead people? If not, what do you think you can do to prioritise yourself in order to give more to others? Point three is to reflect on your capacity and success in supporting others. Adopting emotionally supportive behaviours reduces fear and anxiety. It builds a culture of trust, respect and solidarity and it enables collaboration. The literature confidently asserts that teachers report enhanced professional wellbeing and self-efficacy, less reported work stress and pressure and a greater capacity to prioritise their students when they perceive their well-being is prioritised and they are supported by their leader. If you're not sure whether your well-being is influencing and supporting your capacity to support others, you might like to try any number of these strategies. So reflection tools, I'm actually going to link them in the show notes. So I've got a leader reflection tool. Highly suggest you begin there. Perhaps you need to engage in regular conversations with a critical friend. 
Is there someone at the same level as, as you at work who you can talk through this with to, to get honest and valuable feedback from? Do you need to ask for feedback from those you lead and work alongside? You might need to be anonymous. Do you feel supported? Do you feel like what I give to you is something that you really need? Many of us might be offering support or feel like we are, but it's not landing the way we think it is. Perhaps we might need to consider any feedback that's been provided to us in the past. So whether we've done any 360, um, whether we've had feedback come through to leaders or to ourselves, might need to return to that and, and reflect on that. And point number four, my final point, is to continuously engage in professional development, coaching and opportunities in developing skills in wellbeing interventions. It really is paramount to your own feelings of wellbeing, but being able to support others. So my review of the literature into leader wellbeing highlights that in order to survive and thrive in an intensely emotional and complex school ecosystem, leaders require specific capabilities, qualities and social resources to manage the emotions, stress and steep mental health challenges that they may face. The instability and competitive environment of schools nowadays really actually requires specific personal abilities and emotional intelligence to cope, adapt and manage the global and very turbulent state that we're experiencing in schools today. So if you're a school principal or deputy principal listening, this could be the time for you to reflect on how the middle leaders or even the other leaders in your school are faring. What's their capacity with being able to attend to their own wellbeing, but able to support staff as well, particularly those with a mental health challenge? So have they been provided with the relevant professional learning and preparation to be able to tackle such a complex time in schools? And even those as individuals who are listening now, you might even be thinking, yeah, I, I don't have any of that know-how. And this isn't something that's provided to us, which is probably why you've landed yourself here. You recognise that this is something that's so needed in your school and you can make a really big difference. So to close, we've covered off on the impact that taking care of our wellbeing as leaders can have on our staff, students, community and, and school performance. We've had a look at what wellbeing actually is and, and what it takes to be able to support our own wellbeing. And then finally, we've covered off on some steps and strategies that you can try moving into this year to be able to support your own wellbeing. But so, of course, you can put on the oxygen mask first before you attend to others. So you can make a big impact on those that you work alongside and lead and not at the cost of your own health and wellbeing. I want to thank you so much for joining me for episode four of Well-Led Schools. As always, you can access the show notes for this episode, complete with all of the information and links that I've mentioned today, wherever that you're listening to this podcast. If you're interested in receiving the support you need to develop an effective wellbeing strategy for you, your staff, or your school, remember my signature school partnership program, Well-Led Schools, opens only once per term. Be sure to jump on the wait list to be notified when doors open again by visiting adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. We'll be opening doors again in late February. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au. 
Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.